Holly G with the Golf Insiders. It is the FedEx Cup playoffs. Yes, we are almost in the middle of August and still a lot of golf left to be played, but this is the big, big show now, the final three tournaments before we crown the ultimate FedEx Cup champion. And it's always a pleasure when we can catch him, to bring in one of our favorite golf insiders, Damon Hack from Golf Today and the Golf Channel. Good morning. Good morning, Holly G. How are things? Well, I got my best radio voice on today, Damon. Caught a little something out there in California, but uh, we got a lot of golf to talk about today. First, probably the, the big news, there was a, a player meeting on Tuesday with Jay Monahan. And then he met uh, with a group of the media yesterday. Can you bring uh, my listeners up to speed on, on what happened there? Exactly right. The commissioner back to work after taking that month-long leave of absence or so, citing some health concerns. And he's back in the mix now and met with about 25 of the 70 players that are in the playoffs in Memphis, trying to bring them up to speed. And to hear the players tell it, not a lot of details are uh, known at this point still the framework agreement there are still some details to be figured out ironed out uh, voted on by the policy board so the commissioner wanted to kind of give a status report on that framework agreement on his own uh vigor and health and which he told the players was uh, was good and high and was ready to get back to work and they had a similar discussion with the media as well so as has been the case for the past year and a half in professional golf, lots of talk about inside the ropes and outside the ropes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Monahan admitted that uh, their rollout was regrettable, I guess, um, yeah. and ineffective. I would say a total whiff <laughs> from my perspective, Damon. But, again, um, you know, uh, we don't get mulligans in professional golf, do we? Not supposed to, but uh, Jay Monahan is, is fighting for his professional life, and I think that he's trying to build back the bonds of trust that were broken because of the way the announcement went. It was uh, negotiated in, in the dark, as it were. This is a player member uh, run organization we've been led to believe, and this was a huge, monumental step that the PJ Tour was trying to take and didn't have the the uh, vote of confidence from the from the best players in the world. So I think a lot of the meetings that you see going forward won't just be about the details of this new co or framework agreement with the Pete or in PIF, but also Jay Monahan's heavy lifting of having to build some bonds of trust back that were broken because of the way this thing was rolled out. Yes, John Rahm and Brian Harmon both supported the commissioner earlier in the week when asked if he should keep his job. But in fairness to him, what a few years he's had from, you know, uh, the COVID pandemic in 2020 to then this unprecedented threat of the tour itself. Uh, yes, he gets paid the big dollars to, to run uh, the tour and what a significant load he's had to endure. No question. It's been unprecedented. Uh, but this is what commissioners have to deal with. Uh, the uh, Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, they've had to deal with COVID as well. And 
Obviously, player discontent happens in other sports as well. But you're right. What was so unforeseen was this realized, legitimate threat, the deep pockets that the uh, Saudis have in the public investment fund. And here was the PGA Tour. At first, maybe a little flat-footed in their early response and then realizing the the depth of the threat and, and trying to have this money arms race to, to raise the purses and keep the players on their tour, keep them happy. And I think at the end of the day, probably realize between litigation and rising purses, they just could not compete. So uh, maybe that old saying, if you can't beat them, join them, was ultimately the tack that the, the PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan uh, decided to take. And key to this moving forward, it's been announced that Tiger Woods has been added to the player policy board. Certainly, this will prove to be a huge, uh, not only vote of confidence, but also, uh, I'm sure, uh, encouragement for the players in terms of how their voices will be represented. No doubt. It speaks to the evolving nature of Tiger Woods as an athlete, you know, definitely in the sunset of his career. Speaks to his love of, of the PGA Tour and at a minimum of protecting his legacy on the PGA Tour where he won 82 times. And it also, just from a mathematical standpoint, gives the players six votes on that board as opposed to five. Uh, now the independent directors are five, so uh, this will have to have approval by the players, and, and no voice is greater, no player more respected than Tiger Woods. We've heard the likes of Webb Simpson, who's on that board, Roy McIlroy saying uh, similar things. Adam Scott will be joining it as well eventually and excited to work with Tiger. So I think that it speaks to where Tiger views his own life and own legacy uh, in his late 40s, uh, playing days for the most part behind him. And, but also wanting to protect the future of a PGA Tour, a modern PGA Tour that he helped build with his greatness. Yeah, Rory was quoted yesterday saying, Tiger has stepped up for all of us on tour, and I think he realizes that the players that are on the policy board were trying to play regular golf and at the same time try to navigate all these different things as well. He's maybe got a little more time in his hands than we do. Uh, we know Rory has really carried the tour on his shoulders, and he wants to get back to focusing on his golf. Yeah, he's faced questions nearly every tour stop. DP World Tour, PGA Tour, major championship stop, you name it. He's carried that burden, done it well, but I think it was becoming a, a bit of a kind of law of diminishing returns for him having to focus on the business of golf as well as the birdies uh, of golf. And I think that it, it became too much. And this is someone who is a legendary player, one of the two or three best players of this generation. And it just seems like it became too much. And I think the more selfish he can be, and he's foregone a couple of, of pre-championship, pre-tournament press conferences that he used to attend all the time to, to instead focus on his golf instead. I think for Rory... Um, it's going to be a good thing for him going forward that he can kind of focus more on golf. And he said, listen, I'll answer my phone when I'm needed to be called upon. If, if my voice is needed to be heard, I will weigh in. But it was just becoming too much of a burden to be razor sharp inside the ropes, which is what you need to be to compete at the highest level. Well, speaking of being razor sharp, uh, 
He seems to always rise to the top, especially for this FedEx Cup, Damon. Rory with three titles, defending champion, uh, as he won it last year. Uh, quite an amazing uh, accomplishment, given all that did go on last year. And could be historic if he puts another one into his resume. Really would be already the only player with three FedEx Cup titles going for an unprecedented fourth. Uh, he can break his own record. Came back uh, six-shot deficit from Scotty Scheffler a year ago. Uh, Scotty did not trail until the 70th hole when he made bogey and Rory able to take advantage. Uh, Scotty maybe running out of gas after a year that saw his life change, putting on a green jacket, winning four times, being the player of the year. But this is the time of year typically where Rory McIlroy plays some of his best. Uh, he has a, a tendency to win a lot of playoff events. He and Dustin Johnson have the most uh, playoff victories ever. Uh, he won in 2016, he won in 2019, and he won in 2022. So if you're a believer in numerology, that fourth Fed Cup might not come till 2025. But if you believe that the burden has been lifted from him in terms of all of the questions he's had to answer and minimizing those distractions, uh, he could win perhaps a, a seventh Fed Cup playoff event this week in Memphis. Uh, he has won in Memphis before. He just has such comfort this time of the year. Part of it's his physical talent, and part of it, I believe, is also just how much he uh, loves this time of the year. And he's also someone, considering his commercial success endorsement-wise, doesn't really need the money. He's not going to, you know, choke, to borrow the phrase, uh, if things get tight from a financial standpoint, just because he's been so commercially successful as well. So he's had a, a great resume uh, in the playoffs, uh, and I expect nothing short of, of his brilliant best self uh, over these three weeks in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Well, this uh, week they're in Memphis, as you mentioned, the St. Jude Championship at the TPC. You reported on Golf Channel that both Scotty and Rory are, are, you know, fiddling around with their putters and potentially making some equipment changes. That's that's usually a surprise given uh, the the stakes ahead for the next three weeks. I agree. Good on my colleague uh, Kira K. Dixon who asked Scotty about the timing of it, seeming that you know you got three three big playoff events upcoming, and and Scotty was like, you know what? In some ways, it's the perfect timing to do this, considering the fact that I, you know, he said he'll probably be among the leaders, one, two, or three in Atlanta. Um, so this may be the perfect time, no matter how he plays. Probably not going to be, you know, dislodged from the top three spots in the FedEx Cup standings, in touch of the lead. Uh, and it's it's a feel thing. He's tried the, the mallet style. He's tried some blade putters. And similar to Rory McIlroy, has his trusty uh, putter there, but also a, a couple of backups that he's been trying as well. And I, I kind of uh, started the show yesterday on Golf Today, and I said, is this sounding the alarm or the hazards of doing uh, a job at a tough business? And I think for both of them, it's more of the latter. But they're both such expert ball strikers that any deficiency or deficit in their putting I think probably gets uh, exaggerated a little bit. I mean, Scotty Sheffield, for example, is first across the board in, in ball striking numbers, strokes gained, tee to green, for example. And, and, and that putting stat is, is 135th in strokes gained putting this year. Part of it's because he's going to hit more greens than anybody, and then you're going to probably two putt 
more than anybody, but he also knows that he's missed a few putts that he'd like to have back. You know, instead of a four-win season that he had last year, it's been a two-win season. But he also had an incredible run of top 12 finishes from the CJ Cup to the Open Championship. It just ended at Royal Liverpool. That's a high level of consistency, and maybe just a few more putts would have fallen he might be a four- or five-time winner this season. So looking for just a little more heat with that all-important flat stick. Well, it's definitely uh, the right time of year to heat it up, if you will. Uh, interestingly, Rory shared that he didn't go to his uh, his manufacturer for a putter. He grabbed one out of the garage, Damon. Sounds like the rest of us when, uh, you know, we're looking for some magic. I love that, and I, I've heard stories through the years of, you know, Colin Montgomery popping into a, a Dick's Sporting Goods or PGA Tour Superstore and finding something that worked. You know, Scott McCarron back in the day building a long putter in his garage. VJ Singh apparently has like thousands of putters that he's experimenting with, and, you know, never knowing uh, when that putter is going to find some heat. And just, hey, let's be honest. We all know that sometimes the putter needs a little bit of a timeout. You know, you put it in the corner for a little bit, you, you give it a little bit of a tongue lashing and hope that maybe with a little bit of good behavior, it's back in the bag. That's right. I love it. They tinker just like the rest of us. Uh, so, Damon, break down, you know, the playoffs uh, changed uh, the format this year. We're down to three events. Of course, as most people know who were watching last week, the top 70 made it into Memphis in the playoffs. How does it break down from here? Yeah, it's a lot more jeopardy, I would say, at least in terms of the playoffs. 125 was always that all-important number. Now it's 70. Uh, at the end of the season, in this fall season, it'll still be the top 125 uh, maintaining their PGA Tour status. But where things get interesting is going to be this cutoff from 70 to 50. You're going to want to be in that top 50, not just to make it to the BMW Championship at Olympia Fields outside Chicago, next week, but if you make it in the top 50, that gets you into the designated, now called signature events in 2024. That's the elevated purses, smaller fields, in some cases, no-cut events, kind of similar to the World Golf Championship events back in the day, though the Invitationals, Jack's Tournament, Arnie's Tournament, Tiger's Tournament, those will still have cuts, as will the Players' Championship. Then, of course, the top 30 is, is fully exempt. you you're into the Masters, you're, you're into all the big-time signature events. So I like the feel of this system a little bit more. I thought 125 was a, too big of a number. I feel like 70 is about right. We saw the great chase that Justin Thomas put on. Wyndham needing to hold that pitch shot on the 72nd hole and hit the flag stick, bounced out. He fell to the ground and rolled on his back. We had Ben Griffin on, who was the, the bubble boy, number 70, who got into Memphis and he went on Twitter and said, you know, what a run JT made. I, I want to thank him for, for, you know, giving it a great shot, but also the flagstick for sending me to Memphis. So I just think it feels a little bit more like a playoff when the number is 70. So a lot of jeopardy this week, especially as the players try to secure their entry into the big-time events in 2024. I love it. So there's a lot of women's golf going on. We've got the final LPGA major, the AIG Women's Open. Can you give us a, a quick recap? Sure. They're at Walton Heath. It's a Heathland course in England. 
uh, one of the great Heathland courses, you know, not by the water. You see those pretty kind of yellowish you know, and purple in some cases flowers on the on the hole. So it's a bit more of a kind of a parkland style golf course than we're used to seeing in your typical links layout. Um, my colleague Tom Abbott at Golf Channel is a longtime member of Walton Heath. He's on the call this week and very excited to be there. And I think the two main storylines that I would uh, ask your listeners to, to pay attention to. One is Celine Boutier, the Duke alum, who's won her last two starts on the LPGA, including her first major. She's from France and won the Amundi Evian Championship on native soil and how emotional that was. Saw a lot of French flags out there uh, along the shores of Lake Geneva. And the other story is, is Rose Zhang, who, of course, won her opening event as a professional in the shadow of Lady Liberty at Liberty National, the Mizuho LPGA tournament hosted by Michelle Wee. She has made three starts as a professional in majors and has not finished outside the top ten. So another great player to watch this week uh, as the women conclude their major championship schedule in England at the AIG Women's Open. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one to watch. And again, we get to watch in the morning with our cup of joe and our bunny slippers, Damon. So a great opportunity for fans to watch the best women players, best professional women players. And we also have the U.S. Women's Amateur going on at Bel Air Country Club in Los Angeles. It's been a, it's been a big couple months for golf in L.A. Yeah, a couple months for George C. Thomas Jr., the architect of Riviera, the Los Angeles Country Club, and Bel Air. In fact, we had Amy Alcott, the World Golf Hall of Fame member, on our show this week. She's a member of Riviera and Bel Air, was giving us some of the ins and outs of this golf course, the gorgeous opening par five with views of Century City, kind of similar to the opening hole at uh, the Los Angeles Country Club. So, yeah, they're down to match play now. Um, at Bel Air, some fantastic holes, great shot making. There's a wonderful kind of swinging bridge that that gives me a lot of TV time this week. It's it's white. There's like an elevator that the players can take. It's really really kind of a, a quirky little characteristic of of a wonderful George C. Thomas Jr. layout. Yeah, there were a couple of marathon matches yesterday, including the the last one that went four extra holes. Break that down for me. How'd it go? Yeah, I was watching that last night, and, and I was a little bit worried about uh, my colleagues' voices. Uh, Rich Lerner and Julie Inkster were working overtime, and, and uh, it went. Uh, they were almost chasing the sunset last night, but they finally got it in. In, in our show, Golf Channel, uh, Golf Central followed that. So there's only a lot of those matches that go into the overtime. And you had a 16-year-old star from from Thailand against a young woman from from Auburn, and just, it's really an international field, a wonderful flavor to this U.S. women's amateur. And, and to me, there's nothing better than when you get the matches that do go 19, 20, 21, 22 holes as these players try to advance and pick up that Robert Cox trophy, which was one of the most beautiful trophies, in my opinion, in all of golf. And Julie Inkster, a three-time U.S. women's amateur champion, so... Really great, as always. Uh, Golf Channel brings in the best of the best to cover all of these events. So I'm going to have you throw a dart here, Damon. Uh, Actually, I'm going to have you throw two darts. One, who do you think is going to win in Memphis this weekend? 
And uh, I'm going to ask you for an early uh, pick on the next FedEx Cup champion for 2023. Wow, tough, tough call. I'm going to say Memphis Sam Burns. He's uh, right on the edge of contention for a Ryder Cup pick. Um, great friends with Scotty Scheffler. I think in a quiet way they drag off each other. Their roommates, their wives are like dear, dear friends. And they often, as two families, stay together. So I'm going to say Sam Burns wins the opening event at the FedEx St. Jude Championship. And I'm going to say Rory McIlroy, clear of head and finding a hot putter, will win an unprecedented fourth FedEx Cup crown in a couple weeks' time. I like that. I'm on board with you on that one, Damon. Uh, he had a very confident, calm, uh, zen look about him yesterday. And uh, yeah. that can be dangerous when, when Rory's sort of freewheeling things. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think when the, when the mind aches, the body cries out. And I think his mind is much more clear knowing that uh, his mentor and hero, Tiger Woods, is manning more of the business side of golf. And he can go ahead and focus on what he wants to do inside the ropes, which is hoist the most important trophies in the game. Well, as always, we appreciate your time. Damon Hack, All Things Golf Channel, and you can catch all of the coverage this week and weekend on Golf Today, Golf Central. Uh, Break it down, Damon. Tell my listeners how to catch all the great golf. Yeah, we're all over the map this week. We got great golf on USA for the uh, AIG Women's Open early coverage starting at 6 a.m. Uh, on the weekdays and then over on Golf Channel and NBC on the weekend and, of course, the U.S. Women's Amateur as well. And, and of, course, of course, the first leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs, three events now, Memphis this week, Chicago next, and then, of course, all roads lead to Atlanta for the top 30 in the standings in a couple weeks' time. But, you know, the beat goes on at Golf Channel. No weeks off as you like to say. That's right. I, I feel you, brother. I feel you. Thanks so much. As always, the Big D, Damon Hack from the Golf Channel. Thanks so much for spending time with the Golf Insiders. Thanks, Holly G.